0: Welcome to The Little MBA, where we prepare The Little MBA in your life for a future in business. On today's episode of our podcast, we have the pleasure of welcoming John Covey. John is the founder and CEO of Genius Gains, a company that creates educational board games that teach science concepts in a fun and engaging way. John is a passionate entrepreneur who has combined his love of science with his passion for gaming to create a unique and innovative business. He is credited with being named to the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Today, we'll be speaking with John about his journey as an entrepreneur, the challenges he faced along the way, and the lessons he has learned about building a successful business. John, you are an awesome entrepreneur and person. Fill me in on your experience.
1: Sure. Starting way back, my brother and I would shovel driveways in the wintertime. And I realized he could make some money by putting the piece of equipment to work and um, doing some manual labor. And fast forward to high school, I started mowing lawns. It was very traditional and typical for kids to do, mow lawns and rake leaves. I got my first formal job as a host at a Chinese buffet. And so I would just clean tables and seat people and I made $5 an hour. And that gave me an idea for making money at an hourly wage. And I worked in a number of other restaurants. I did landscaping for a company full-time during my summers while I was in high school and just saved up money. And it was really nice at that point to finally have some what you would call maybe financial freedom as a kid, where I had this money I could spend on whatever I wanted to spend it on. And I didn't have to ask my parents for their money, or I didn't have to ask for permission because I had cash in my pocket. And I think that really kind of changed my mindset on life in some ways. After high school, I actually joined the military. And I was a military police officer, and I learned what really hard work was, painful work. And I decided that military is not what I wanted to do my whole life. When I got out of the military, I got a degree in biology and a master's degree in engineering, and I worked as an engineer for a while. I learned that I'm in a really specific technical skill set will pay me more money. Um, But I also was really struggling with, do I want to do this the rest of my life? Because I had a lot of ideas for different businesses I wanted to start. And now I run multiple different businesses. At that point, I was really thinking, do I want to show up and work someone else's schedule and do the jobs that someone else tells me to do? Or do I want to do the jobs that I want to do or do the jobs that I choose to do and only make money when I actually sell products or deliver services. I decided to make that leap and I started a company called Genius Games, where we publish board games and jigsaw puzzles and children's books. And we do so all
0: about science concepts
1: for families, for teachers, for classrooms and for kids.
0: That's fantastic, John. Certainly, you were an entrepreneur at an early age, but you also worked for others along the way.
1: Yeah, I am really glad I had these other jobs. I think it taught me the value of hard work. And sometimes when you are working for a company and you don't like certain things, it's a good lesson as a business owner of what not to do. In the military, I learned a lot about leadership, and I learned a lot about organization and structure. And these were all really important things with running the business. Um, People say, well, I want to run a business so I can have ultimate freedom, and I don't have to have any structure, and I don't have to have any organization. And part of me is like, no, that's actually the opposite of freedom. Having no structure is really chaos, not freedom. Freedom comes from having a set amount of structure that you own, so you can deviate from that when you see fit, and when it's good for you. Um, I did learn a lot from all these jobs, but probably the time I learned the most is really when I went out on my own and started my own thing. Because when you work at a job... There's usually always a manager or a boss or someone else that's going to be checking up on your work and checking for mistakes and helping you along the way. When you own your own company, the saying is the buck stops with you. If There's a mistake. It's on you. So you're the last person to check things and you own the company. And so when people are frustrated or upset about the product or service, they want to talk to you about that and you have the ultimate say, there's a lot of things we could talk about and go into, but the reality is with uh, a lot of big business decisions, there's rarely a right or wrong answer. There's just better answers and less good answers, but it's rarely the right answer. And so you're having to make decisions with limited information and knowing that there's not a perfect answer out there. There's just a lot of options and you've got to choose whichever one you think is best. And that's kind of tough, I think, for a lot of people who are not used to owning a business.
0: What was the biggest risk that you took along the way?
1: The biggest risk that we took was I had a nice engineering income and we had a nice house out in the county. And we both drove nice cars because we were a double-income family. And I decided to quit my engineering job, sell our house, and invest that money into basically living. We lived off of the proceeds from the sale of the house, and we sold our nice cars. And we kept one car because we had a four-month-old baby at that point. And and that was probably the biggest risk, just going from guaranteed Money. Now guaranteed's an interesting word because the reality it was guaranteed as long as I wasn't let go or as long as the company that I was not in control of was that I was employed by did well. I had to go out and build something to pay myself a salary. And I could make as little or as much as really I wanted, depending upon how successful the company I built was. So that's the biggest risk. How do you measure that? People have different perspectives on how to measure risk. I am much more comfortable with risk than a lot of other people. I'm much more comfortable with risk than my wife or my kids at this point. But I've also lived a very different life. I've made a lot of risky decisions in my life where a lot of other people, they just want the security of having a job. And so for me, it was less about risk and more about what I really wanted the next couple of decades of my life to look like. And I think that I could have done it in a less risky way. For example, I could have waited until the company was really making a lot more revenue so I could supplement the salary that I was being paid for my engineering job. But I didn't because I believed in myself and I knew I was going to be able to do it.
0: That's fantastic. I'm sure... As your kids have been growing up, they've certainly seen you taking on these risks and seen you working hard as an entrepreneur. What are some of the ways in which you try to translate this skill set to your kids?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's actually one of the most difficult things to do as a parent, because we have a very natural impulse to protect our kids. And sometimes we have to let them make mistakes in order for them to learn on their own. I encourage my kids to do work and to make money for their work, whether it's doing chores around the house or whether they have an idea for a lemonade stand or they want to sell. We used to have a big pear tree in our backyard and they would want to collect the pears and they'd put up a stand on the street corner and they'd sell pears. Or they'd make bracelets and pictures and they'd walk door to door and sell bracelets and pictures. And these are all things that my kids were learning about how to make something and sell something to someone. Along the way, they would often ask me questions about what is the right way to do this or how should I do this? Even though I knew that I had a lot more insight and advice, sometimes I wouldn't really give it to them because I would let them make the decisions. Well, what do you think? And they'd make the decision and I would let them go forward with that decision And they would learn that it wasn't the best decision. And so I'd say, well, that didn't work very well. What should you try next? I was hopefully more of like a foundation of safety and security for them. that They could come back to rather than a source of right information and right answers because a lot of what they needed to learn to be a good entrepreneur was just going out there and taking risks and making decisions and doing things on their own and really learning as they went, because that's really the entrepreneurial journey. We don't have it all figured out. We're kind of making decisions with limited information and there's no right or wrong decision. It's just whatever is best for this situation. And it's really hard the way that we educate kids nowadays it's not wrong to always ask questions that have right answers, but sometimes it's also really good to ask questions that don't have right answers and just really challenge them to think about things from multiple different perspectives. Uh, what a great approach. dear! Yeah, we will uh, sometimes go to my office and we've got a lot of prototyping supplies and dice and little wooden pieces, markers and paper. We will like, experiment and make games together. It's a fun thing to do in our free time, but we do play quite a bit of games at home. My kids are uh, of varying ages right now. I have a nine-year-old, six-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, and a a new baby. And so there's not that many games we can play that are going to be relevant for all the age groups. One game we play a lot is called Sequence for Kids. It's a really fun game where you're trying to line up a sequence of animals on the board. We played Monopoly a few times, we played Clue, and so we play a lot of the classic games. And I think you can learn a lot about uh, how to make a decision or the consequences of decisions from games. It teaches you a lot about strategy versus tactics, like what's the long-term play here? Where am I trying to get to on multiple turns? What is the best turn I can make right now? So it teaches very relevant things to real life. Um, so yeah, we do play a lot of games and we try and use it as a tool to teach our kids. Although it's hard to teach uh, some of the lessons in real time when they lost and they're really frustrated or they're really mad. And then I'll try and teach them a lesson about this later when I not so worked up or ran.
0: Absolutely. I know how that goes. So, are you playing board games all day every day?
1: Yeah, I wish it was playing board games all day. That would be a lot more fun. I really structured my week so that I have lots of time to do very specific activities. It's also referred to as time blocking. And what that allows me to do is to put on the specific hat I need to wear for that job specialty. So, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we will play chess games. Products we're working on, products we're thinking about publishing, or products that we need to play for research and development. The rest of the time, though, every morning we have a huddle. And the huddle, the whole team comes together and we talk about what we've accomplished the day before, what we're going to accomplish that day, and then any issues or hurdles we have that we need help from others with. Then once a week, the leadership team will sit down and spend an hour and a half going over what's working well, what needs improvement. We track a number of KPIs, key performance indicators, and they're just numbers that tell us, are we doing well or are we not doing well? Is revenue, so how much money we're making, is it growing, is on target to where we want it to be? How much money left over after we pay most of our bills? Is that where it needs to be? Are we selling enough units? Are we calling enough retailers and asking them to order? Each week we have that meeting and we call it a weekly workshop because I don't like the word meeting because, you know, it has a bad connotation. I like the word workshop because it sounds fun. So we do that. The rest of the week, I'll spend a lot of time working with my staff or researching new retailers to reach out to most of the time for a ceo is putting out fires so lots of issues come up when you are building a company whether it's issues with one of your products or issues with the shipping or issues with a team member or issues with your processes there's just always issues coming up and as the owner and the leader in the company you're the main one responsible for being the firefighter, putting those fires out, helping to solve those issues. That's probably what I spend most of my time on outside those structured time blocking times for the team or for product development or for operations and finance. It's just putting out fires and solving problems.
0: Excellent. Tell me a little bit more about the courses that really inspired you when you were young.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I didn't do really that well in school when I was younger. I was maybe an average student, maybe a little bit above average, but I think that's really key because I think that there's this misconception that you have to do really well in school in order to own a business or be successful in life. The reality is that some students really struggle with certain things in school. Whether it's learning certain topics or whether it's social anxiety or whether it's after-school activities or sports. Traditional school is set up to have almost every opportunity available, and you can only be good at some of them, not all of them. And early on, I think I was really trying to figure out what I really wanted to be when I grew up and trying to figure out what I was good at. And I was okay at math. I really enjoyed science, but I also wasn't the best. I think the things I really liked were like shop class, because you could build things and make things. And I also took a home economics class where they taught you how to sew and taught you how to cook. I really liked the things that were hands-on. In sixth grade, your normal classes stopped for a whole two weeks. And then you were um, given a little bit of fake money And then you could bring things to sell. Each person was given a role or a job. And so during this time, your whole schooling was building this little business or something within this village. That was something I really enjoyed and just learned a lot from. And still to this day, remember as being a really fun thing to do. The non-traditional types of activities that we got to do within school had the biggest impact on me. I think it's tough for a lot of kids, especially for me, to just sit at a desk and then do my homework or sit at a desk and just read the material and just focus. I always wanted to be up and doing something and have my hands on something.
0: That's great. I love experiential learning. And in our school district, we have something called Idea Lab that's all experiential. So whether it's building cardboard arcades, creating businesses, having guests, speakers in to speak about different topics like supply chain or architecture, et cetera. So important to expose kids to business careers and experiences that are going to further their knowledge base. It sounds like you created a retailer. You were selling items, just like the business model that you have today for Genius Games. So you have a About 40 different products. And so how do you know before you launch a product, which one is really going to be the big game, the most popular game? How do you know it's going to be successful? There's
1: two answers to that. One is a bit more pessimistic, uh, and that is you don't really know until you launch it. Some of what we find out with publishing games is every new product is a little bit of a risk. We're going to put some money in. We're going to manufacture the game. We're going to get it out there. And we won't know for sure how well the game will sell until we see how well it sells. That's the first answer. But the second thing is we just do a lot of testing. And so we will get a lot of feedback from people who play games. We'll send prototypes out. To reviewers and to our audience to play a game and to give feedback on the names and the colors and the images and the wording so that we can really hone in and get that product right. And if it sounds like we're getting a lot of negative feedback about the experience that people have, then we usually don't really pursue it much further. But if we're getting a lot of positive feedback, that's when we know, I think we have something here that's worth pursuing. If people are having a really good time and having fun, then we know it's probably going to do better. But if people are bored and they're talking to other people and they're looking at their phone while they're playing the game, that probably means it's not something that's that great. That's how we get an idea about whether it's going to be a good product or not. But really, at the end of the day, until we get it on the market and start selling it, There's no guarantee that it's going to be a great seller.
0: Interesting. How many people are part of this network of reviewers that are weighing in on how great the product is before you launch?
1: Yeah, over the past 13 years, we've probably collected five or 600 different people across the U.S. who will perform that kind of function. Now, not all of them look at every game if we have a new product we'll send it out to a subset of that audience or we'll email a subset of that audience. And maybe 10 or 20 of them will respond and say, yeah, I really like that topic, or I really like that idea, or I really like that concept. And so I'd be willing to play it or to give some feedback on it. Um, So even though it's a large amount of people in general, when we actually are looking for feedback, we try and narrow narrow it down.
0: What advice? Would you give to somebody out there, perhaps one of our listeners, maybe one of their kids or grandchildren, what would you share with them in terms of one thing you need to do or know to start their own board game? Yeah. If you want
1: to start your own board game, I'd say that the number one thing to do is to make a prototype and to get that prototype in front of people and then listen to their feedback. Most people, when they make a product, they get kind of defensive when someone tells them something that could be improved with that product. But the reality is that product is only gonna be as good as you are a good listener. Because if the people that are going to use the product and experience the product and pay for the product, if they're giving you feedback on what they think could be better about it, Well, you should listen to that because those are the people that are actually going to buy it. Um, I think that's the toughest thing. So make a prototype, get it in front of some people, get feedback on what could be improved, and then just iterate on improvements. Improve the product, put it in front of more people, get more feedback. Improve the product, get it in front of more people. And the way I like to think about it is, let's say that you really want an A in class and you've had 10 tests over the past year, and most of the averages of all your tests is right around 90%, right? So you're close to an A, but you've got this one assignment and this one test that you really bombed. You did a 20% or 30% on. Well, that one assignment, it's going to drive down the average of all of your tests combined, right? So if you're able to go back and fix any one thing, any one test, you shouldn't fix the one that you've already done really well on, you should fix the worst one, right? The part that's the most frustrating, the part that's the most confusing in your product. And that will increase the overall average of your test scores. And that'll hopefully bring you up to an A. Well, the same thing with a product. I like to say, focus on the worst part, the most confusing part, the most frustrating part first, because that will bring up the average experience of the
0: product in general. Great. That is really helpful. In terms of those frustrations and challenges that you faced early on, what is something you wish you had known when you started out on your entrepreneurial journey?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I wish I would have known that most good advice is out there for me to find if I'm just willing to put myself out there and ask questions and ask for help. I think a lot of times we feel like um, we have to know all the right answers ourselves, otherwise we're gonna be a failure or we are a failure. And I don't think that's the reality, but I think I had that mindset that I had to do it all myself. I had to figure out myself. With school, if someone helps you with your homework, it's considered cheating. Or someone helps you with your test, it's considered cheating. But in business, that's not the way it is at all. I'm always asking for help from my peers. I'm always asking for help from people that know more than me. As a matter of fact, a lot of times I'm paying them to help me because they know more than I do about certain things. And so just going out there and asking good questions and asking people for help and asking people for coaching and mentorship and advice I think that's something I really wish I would have done a much better job early on. I wish I knew there were so many people out there willing to help me to grow my business and to grow my ideas
0: into reality. Wonderful. What is the most fun part of entrepreneurship for you?
1: Honestly, I think the most fun part is helping people who have a specific problem or a specific struggle or need help in a specific way. And being the person that can give them some feedback and advice and help them jump over a hurdle that's challenging for them. That only comes to first being the person who's really willing to ask questions and really willing to be vulnerable and learn so that you can then in the future, be the kind of person that knows enough and is equipped enough to help other people. A mistake that I've made in the past is. Knowing that something was going to be risky or challenging, and knowing that there were people I could talk to about it to get feedback, to ask others if they've dealt with similar things, and then not asking for that feedback, not getting that feedback, not getting that help, and then having to carry the weight of the consequences all by yourself. I think that going back to this concept trying to do everything myself instead of finding people both outside advisors so someone to help out with my finances or my bookkeeping or finding a good attorney to help out with my legal issues or finding a consultant to help me with growing revenue not just those things but also hiring good staff To work on the things inside of my company that I really shouldn't be doing. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of business owners make. It basically keeps them from growing over time because that business owner becomes the bottleneck for growth because everything has to go through that one business owner. But if you can hire a team that you really trust, that you know is really competent and you can give them the tasks that as a business owner, you shouldn't be doing anymore, then you can really grow your organization, grow your business.
0: What do you think those barriers were that were standing in your way? What were those fears? And then how did you overcome those?
1: I think that there's always a fear that we're not good enough or that we don't have the right answer. We're told from a very young age that we should have the right answer. Throughout time, I realized that if I wanted to make excellent products and I wanted my company to grow, I had to humbly step aside and let others who were better than me do the things that they should be doing better than I could do them or I had to humbly ask for help and ask for feedback when I didn't know what to do. After making the first few steps of doing that and realizing that the company was doing better and that I was doing better and that the product was getting better, then you start to realize and you start to connect and correlate, hey, me letting someone else do this, I now have more time. Or me letting someone else solve this problem, the problem was solved better than I would have solved it. And you start to see the benefit of being
0: humble and letting others who are better than you do those things. You know so much about so many different topics. So what if on your night fan right now, what are you reading? Oh, I read an enormous amount.
1: I'm reading the book It's called Financial Intelligence, and it's all about the measurables that business leaders need to understand in order to grow their organization. I was recently reading the book called Harvard Business Review's Guide to Buying a Small Business because I also help people buy and sell businesses. And so that has been really helpful for me. That's so meaningful to someone who's running the business is if you think about how would you need to package your company and create processes and systems and teams so that you could actually remove yourself from the company so the company is not dependent upon you to run it. Well, that's a really helpful mindset to build a company. And so thinking about a company almost as a product or a machine that you're building so you can sell it, that's a really helpful way to think about your company, thinking about working on your company instead of working inside of your company. Another one is called Get a Grip. That's a book I've read many times. It's about an operating system to help run a small business. Probably the most influential book I've read is a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That one is just really good to help you think critically and take a look at yourself and Uh, Make sure you're really prioritizing the things you need to be prioritizing and asking the right questions and being the leader that you
0: can be to run a healthy organization. Great recommendations and would certainly agree. Where can people find Genius Games?
1: You can find Genius Games if you go to geniusgames.org. And you also can find this if you go to sciencegames.com sciencegames.com just forwards to geniusgames.org. You can email me at john at geniusgames.org. I like to spend time walking around my property and hanging out with my kids and my family. And I run multiple businesses. So I try and just stay away from social media. But anyone's always welcome to email me or find the website. We have a contact us page there. And that will go to my staff and they can also help with any questions.
0: Fantastic, John. It sounds like you are living your values, living your approach of stepping away and letting your staff take the reins. It's great to see you living that every day. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, John. Subscribe to our podcast and social media channels. And as extra credit, if you feel so inclined, give us a thumbs up or share our episode on social media channels at The Little MBA. Thanks for listening.